The following sermon is presented by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. Please open your Bibles to the short letter of 3 John. 3 John, you'll find this book towards the end of your Bible. The church fathers in their wisdom put it right after 2 John. So look for 2 John, Jude, right in the center of there. Well, today we have the responsibility of understanding the shortest book in the New Testament. It's also the shortest book in the Bible, and I would love for this to be the shortest sermon ever preached, but over the next hour and a half, no, I'm just joking, <laughs> just joking, but these two very personal letters are very great in their gravity, in their weight, in the message that is, is taught here, and so we do want to look again at the message of truth. John writes to each of these individuals, this family in Second John, the elect lady and her children, and then Gaius in 3 John, and commends them for walking in the truth. And each of these books has the overarching concern of love and hospitality as it relates to the truth. In the second letter, he writes to the family to urge them not to show hospitality to certain individuals who went about teaching falsehood. Their intention was to teach lies that would subject the truth of Christ and undermine it. In this letter, in 3 John, he writes to Gaius to urge him to continue to offer hospitality to the teachers of the truth. Hospitality you should show. Hospitality was absolutely necessary to the early church. We know that it was expected to show hospitality to to teachers of the truth. Jesus sent his disciples in Matthew 10, and they were to expect to be shown hospitality. There were no church buildings yet in the first century. They met in homes for teaching, for worship, for prayer, for evangelism, for discipleship, for the breaking of bread as we just did. People were largely dependent on staying in others' homes. And here we have a book surrounding these traveling missionaries, these teachers of the truth coming to Gaius and his church as they journey on to teach the truth. Well, follow along as I read this book of 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church." Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. 
The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write you, and I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Now, as you're reading along, you probably noticed that the form of the word truth again appears seven times in verses 1 and 3 and 4 and 8 and 12. As I introduced last week, I want to again remind you of the mantra of truth today or the subjective relative truth that presides today. Truth is relative in each situation. There are no moral absolutes. And we can't truly know anything. We're just perceiving different perspectives of the same reality. We could actually come to reality of the truth outside the Bible. And any view that says it is the only truth is rigid, dogmatic, and divisive. That's what they say today. But truly, we can rest on the Word of God as, as truth. Because it was given to us by the God who is the God of truth. And manifested itself person perfectly in the second person of the Trinity, the truth himself, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And yet, even for many of us who have been taught the truth and know the truth and believe the truth and guard and support the truth, there can be great fear, some difficulty in promoting the truth in our own lives. But the Apostle John wrote these books to people who lived the truth out loud in their life. They loved the truth. The truth was in them, and it produced action. John tells the the lady in 2 John that they obeyed the truth, and it produced a heart of love. And here he tells Gaius that he lovingly served the truth in everything that he did. You see, it's the truth of God, the authoritative word of God that directs the foundation and affection of our love. Well, last week we saw in 2 John that walking in the truth demands practicing the truth and protecting the truth. And this week we'll see that 3 John, John demands that we promote the truth through hospitality. So first, let's look at this third letter revolving around John's approval and encouragement to Gaius to promote the truth. And we see three examples of men. That's the easiest way to break down this book. There's three men with three different natures. But I want to offer you this morning five ways from 3 John that you must promote the truth. We can't just know it. We need to promote it. And first, I want to, I want to tell you that we must exemplify faithful service. And we see that here with Gaius. Let's begin by just looking at the first few verses together, how John introduces it. He says the elder to the beloved Gaius again, beloved. He knows this man dearly and calls him beloved four times throughout this letter. He has a deep care and affection for him. He desires to see him face to face very soon. And this is very personal. And he almost repeats himself by saying, beloved, I love you. And There's no way of actually knowing who Gaius was. Gaius was a very common name. 
Paul mentions a Gaius, but it's uh, in this way it'd be like saying Pastor John. There are so many Pastor Johns that you wouldn't necessarily know who we are talking about by just saying Pastor John. John Calvin, MacArthur, Piper, Smith, John Smith. That's a name that I think is a little bit overused, but uh, it certainly doesn't narrow it down. We do know that Gaius was somebody well-known to John and well-known in this community. This church knew who Gaius was, and John, by reports, brings the, the reputation of Gaius from these traveling missionaries. He was most likely one of the leaders in his church. And John tells him that he loves him in the truth, just as he told the elect lady in Second John. He says, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. And he's very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear my children walking in the truth. Now, this is a very nice letter. I think we would all do well to write letters again to each other. And sometimes email suffices, but other times a personal note can go a long way. Well, he first tells Gaius he's praying for his prosperity. And Paul does this also. He he prays for the wellness of others, but there's plenty of false teaching on what prosperity means. So let me just hold fast to the word of truth and simply tell you what John means. He doesn't mean that that Gaius would amass more wealth for personal gain, that he would never get sick, or that he would never be unwell and completely avoid sickness. But he is saying, I'm asking God that your physical life would be as good as your spiritual life is. Or to the extent that you're spiritually healthy, I desire that... You would flourish physically and materially in the same way. It's, it's a kind thought and one that's so natural to our conversations. We say, hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I hope you're doing well. So this is a blessing. He prays that he would have the resources, certainly that he needs to keep showing the hospitality he has been, but also reflective of his spiritual health. But prosperity can also certainly become a curse. It could become a curse to be physically and material well, but if we're not spiritually well, we're truly bankrupt. Practically, we are better able to serve, aren't we, if, uh, if we don't have the burden of physical hindrances, sicknesses weighing us down. Well, he says here in verses 3 and 4 just how glad he is to hear about his spiritual health. He's faithfully walking in the truth, much like, much like the lady and her family in Second John. And don't overlook the item that other brethren came to tell him about this exemplarily faithful walk. Other brethren came. Just a few practical points here that I want to encourage you to practice the truth in your life in such a way that it's noticeable to others, that it's even contagious. And secondly, proactively praise the faithful walk of others, not so that they could boast about it, but certainly so that they could be an example to the entire church, as Gaius is an example for us now of a faithful walk. Well, John expands his joy and says that there's nothing greater than to see my children walk in the truth. 
Now, whether that's biological children John's talking about or spiritual children, like Paul does in 1 Corinthians 4, where he calls himself a father of many, uh, that's beside the point. The point is that it's a heritage of the truth that we're passing on to the next generation. We pass the baton. Faithfully entrust to other men, it says in 2 Timothy 2. Well, the point is that what we pass on far outweighs any other news that we could hear of others. And to hear that our children are walking in the truth certainly is a great joy. Well, let's turn our attention now to the main part of John's message where he commends Gaius for his exemplary faithful service. Look at verse 5 and the first part of verse 6. He says, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. John said he's acting faithfully in whatever he accomplished for the brethren. Acted. He was acting on the truth that was in him. The truth was in him and he was walking faithfully. And so he was practicing the truth. Last week we said practicing the truth means we need to first learn the truth. We need to know what the truth is. We need to be like-minded and unified in the truth together. We need to live in the truth and we need to love in the truth. And while the testimony was of the truth in him, here his testimony was the love that was in him. We know that truth does produce action in our life. We don't know what to do until we know what to do. We could say that the truth that resides in us shapes our thoughts, but love moves our feet. Truth and love must both be evident in our life. Now listen, our practice must match our profession of faith. Or another way, our conduct has to match the creed we live by. Our life in motion must match the mastery we have of the truth. Well, John says he didn't just serve faithfully to brothers he knew. He even extended his love to strangers. Ministers of the truth that came to him that he did not know of. But he was discerning enough to notice that the truth was in him. Look at verse 5. It says these were these very brothers and some of them strangers... They went to John with a report of the love of Gaius was showing. And they came to John and the church there and said, We must tell you of Gaius and his love and affection for us. You must know that in every way he was effective in his efforts to support us in our ministry, to help us along the way. His love was very active. And that's what the word accomplishment means here. Had the idea of a trade, practicing a trade or performing a task and not just performing it, but with a goal of completing it. Gaius made every effort to completely serve them. Now, it wouldn't be an accomplishment if you only swept half of your garage or changed half of your oil or drove your brother halfway to the airport It wouldn't be an accomplishment. It it certainly wouldn't be an accomplishment if the Tigers were in the lead going into the ninth inning and blew it. It wouldn't be an accomplishment to show hospitality to these traveling preachers of the truth, but fail in some way to offer them food or not offer a pillow for their bed or love them in every way they could possibly think of. But he was faithful 
He was faithful to serve them in every way. Are you faithful in your service? Are you like the slaves who were entrusted with talents from the master in Matthew 25, who when he returned said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Well, like Gaius, we not only need to exemplify faithful service, secondly, we must excel in purposeful sending. John says in the end of 6 and 7, you'll do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. You will do well to send them. Much like we see in Acts 13 and 14, John gives us a model here of what sending missionaries looks like. With Paul, John, and the church, they proclaimed the truth of the gospel to the believers there in their church. They equipped disciples. They trained up leaders. They identified key leaders, these brothers who Gaius helped, that would go out and proclaim the truth to unreached areas. They sent these leaders with the purpose of going out in the name, for the sake of the name. He sent leaders who would teach the truth. He sent leaders who would strengthen the church. He sent leaders... who would train up other leaders to multiply those churches there. And then these leaders came back and gave a report. It's just like how Paul diagrams it. John says, support them. Send these men. Well, Gaius, your testimony of love towards such men, it's so evident. Do what you can to keep supporting them. Send them on their way. It says... Send them in a manner worthy of God. Well, this is simply the principle of a holistic worship of our life in everything you do. Do it for the Lord, not for men. Romans 16.2, Paul says to receive Phoebe in whatever she needs, for she's been very generous, helping even myself. Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Please him in all respects. Philippians 1.27, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So to send these traveling teachers, basically pastors, missionaries, preaching the truth in a manner worthy of God is to take care of them so they don't have need of anything, to make sure they have enough food, to make sure they have the funds they need, to possibly even send traveling companions with them to advise them on maybe what their next steps ought to be, to look at lodging along the way, to pray for them, to pray for them. Unlike 2 John, where John says, don't greet these false teachers. You'll participate in their evil deeds. He says here, take care of them. Do send them out. Support them in every way. Send them. One commentator says that this kind of love is the same word used for the love of God. And it's intelligent, deliberate, outgoing, self-giving love patterned according to the love of God himself. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, and so it's in a manner worthy of God that we ought to send them out. They go out for the sake of the name. They go, and we send them for the purpose of what? Proclaiming the truth, the full revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the depravity of human sin, the salvation found only in Christ because of His finished work on the cross, His forgiveness of sin, His justification for our righteousness, and satisfying the wrath of God. This is the truth they proclaimed, and they proclaimed 
the name. They went out for the sake of the name. And this is the goal. So our task is to send these kind of men who have the right motives. We're to excel in purposely sending these kind of men and support them. Do we have a next generation ready? I think, I think for the most part we are doing well here to train up the next generation of, of leaders, proclaimers of the truth. Are we preparing them? Are we doing everything we can to disciple young people, young people in the Lord, to send them in a manner worthy of God? Well, like Gaius, we must exemplify and be an example of faithful service and excel in sending these kind of men out on their way, promoting their teaching. We also, third, must extend loving support. Extend loving support. That's the general idea here in verses 5 through 8. But verse 8 says it so well. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. John means to tell Gaius here that since the purpose of these men is to go for the sake of the name, they are worthy men to support. And he says because of their character, because of their motive, continue to be hospitable to them. Look back at verse 7 a minute. They went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They didn't expect to get help from anyone other than people inside the church. If you were to go and ask money for the church to an unbeliever, it would lack the same fellowship that supporting each other in the church does. It would lack love or encouragement in the truth. Matthew 10 says, Jesus sending out his disciples with a command not to acquire gold or silver or copper for the money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worthy worker for the worker is worthy of his support. Traveling teachers recognized that they weren't going to be able to be shown the same hospitality by the unbeliever. And if you were, they may assume that you were preaching for money. So John says it naturally would look to the church for the hospitality needed. And this is why we don't look outside the church for missionary support or pastoral support or the funds we need for, for our ministries here to, to bless the body. They wouldn't understand the motive of our preaching. The world wouldn't offer aid to missionaries. In fact, they'd look down upon the efforts of missionaries. But we must extend loving support for the sake of the name. In supporting missionaries and preachers of the word, we're told to participate in their work. In 2 John, we're told that we participate in evil deeds if we support the work of false teachers. In the same way, we are full participants in the gospel, in the proclamation of truth, when we support those who teach the truth. This isn't a personal business trip for these men. This isn't a vacation This isn't a weekend retreat where they're off to better themselves. No, they are co-laborers in the gospel. They are preaching the truth and to love in the truth. And John is saying here, your hospitality is an extension of their ministry. Extend yourself for the work of the gospel. Support them. Be participants. Let me say it this way. We need to involve ourselves any way we can in participating in the fellow workers in the truth. You ought to be investing yourself generously toward the partnership in the gospel for the sake of the name. 
immersing yourself fully in the cooperative mission of the church. The mission of the church is to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, teaching them all that I have commanded, teaching them to observe all that I commanded, and with His very presence that we go and do this. There is a message to be taught, and that's the message of the truth of Christ. We extend this loving support to faithful workers of, of the truth. And how can we do this? Well, let me just ask you what you do with your money. That's a great way to support those who teach the truth. What do you do with your time? How do you use your time? Your home. What does your home look like? The space in it. Your, your vacation time. Your reading. What are you educating yourself in? What are you learning about? How are you growing? Your emails. How could you use your emails to support the work of the gospel? Instructing, encouraging, informing in your relationships. Let me give you a few direct ways we could be supportive of missionaries overseas in this way. We can financially support our missionaries. We can pray for our missionaries. We can send short-term teams to evangelize and do special skill-based projects like we're about to do in Quebec in a week. We can seek out future missionaries to go and help them and train them well and offer holistic and practical needs that they have. We can spiritually care for them and encourage them. We can interact with the missionaries directly and get to know them and know their ministry, know what they're struggling with, know how they're spreading the gospel fully invest in what they're doing there. Increase your involvement in prayer. As you pray for those who go out for the sake of the name, you will care more about the truth in your own heart. So this is Gaius, a man who gently and lovingly served these traveling missionaries. And we see how he walked in the truth. It was displayed in his hospitality. He's a great example to us. He exemplifies faithful service. And so we must also. And we are to excel in sending sending qualified, intentional, well-prepared missionaries of this same sort. We're to extend loving support. But here in verse 9, John changes the tone of his letter. He's not so encouraging anymore. In fact, he has a little bit of a bite to him. And as we see here, we're going to need to expose self-promotion. We must expose self-promotion. This is Diotrephes. Look at verse 9 and 10. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loved to be first among them, does not accept what we say. John wrote this letter to Gaius and warns him here about a dangerous situation in the church, or a church nearby anyways, that Gaius may have known about this man. Most likely, this letter he wrote, he says, I wrote something to the church. Most likely, it would have been instructions on how to show hospitality or sacrificially love, but he didn't accept it. This is what we see in the example of Gaius, so it makes sense that He's writing again to show the same message. In sharp contrast, this man is arrogant and self-absorbed in comparison to Gaius. Diotrephes intercepts this letter. He does not want John's message to be carried out. 
He rejects the message and the messenger, and he refused to accept the apostles' teaching. He's very prideful. This is basic sin here. This sounds more like something I would see in my boys' room than I would see in the leader of a church, but it happens. And his sin is prideful, and it's self-promoting. We don't know who this man is. Diotrephes was also a common name, but we can assume he was a leader in the church who assumed the role of church discipline. He was kicking people out of the church in verse 10. He was influential enough to do this, or at least divisive enough to make it happen. And he was rejecting the love of these traveling missionaries. But more than who he is, that's not so important. We certainly see what he is. And he says that he loved to be first. In fact, the original Greek, it doesn't even name him until after he characterizes him and calls out his immorality and says, the one who loved to be first, Diotrephes. Now, I don't want a subtitle of my name to come before the title of my name, especially in that light. But he was self-seeking. He was power-hungry. He was ambitious. He was aggressive. Look at verse 10. I will call attention to his deeds and what he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. Not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren. He forbids those who desire to receive the brethren and puts them out of the church. He rules over others without input. And in the early 30s, there was a theologian who wrote an article for his denomination. This is the 1930s. But it holds true today. When the editor got back to him about this article he wrote concerning the spirit of Diotrephes, he said, 25 deacons have stopped the paper to show their resentment against being personally attacked by this paper. A bit defensive, definitely. But they were assuming it was about them. And the spirit of Diotrephes lives on today. It's like a toxic cancer to the truth. A cancer against love, and we must expose this kind of self-promotion. The spirit of diatrophies is one that builds yourself up. And that's what happens when you reject the truth, is you look to yourself for the truth. And you indeed worship yourself by not worshiping God, the, the author of truth. Luke twelve fifteen. Jesus warns them, beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even one who has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Be aware of greed. And if you really want to know what happens in, in the heart of this kind of man, we can look to Romans 1. People who suppress the truth, exchange the truth of God for a lie. You can see many of Diotrephes' characteristics here. They're filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers. They're haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Many of the characteristics we see in diatrophies, and we pray that this does not happen to any of us. We need to look out. We need to, we need to expose this kind of heart of greed, envy, pride. Look again at 9 and 10. He's preeminent. He accuses the 
authority John has as an apostle. He speaks wicked words against him. He's malicious in his efforts to refuse hospitality. He even forbids others to show hospitality. And he kicks people out of the church if they show hospitality. This is not the kind of church you want to go to. Like John says in his first letters, this kind of guy is not really among us. He's among us, but he's not of us. We need to be discerning about the truth. We need to even be like the priests of Israel who would examine physical sickness and they were very meticulous to isolate the person until he was restored to full health. And that's the kind of love we want to have with someone like Diotrephes if they're willing to receive it. But most of the time, they are not teachable. In the same way, we need to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves before we commune together so that if there's a wrong between us, we, we reconcile each other. Paul's even willing to say, examine me as an apostle. He trusts that the Lord has examined him. The Bereans, this is a great example, they measured everything by Scripture to see if it was true. Well, this is the correct attitude we need to have of humility. Just before that Scripture reading this morning from Philippians 2, we need to have the same love, united in the same spirit, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, considering others better than ourselves having humility towards one another, and having Christ as the perfect example of sacrificial love. Diotrephes didn't know this. And in our text in 3 John, we need to be on the lookout for appropriately self-examining or exposing self-promotion. The world wouldn't say this. You need to look out for number one is what they would say. Do what's right in your own eyes. Make your decision and stand by it, whatever it is, whether it be true or not. But truth is not found within yourself. You must go to the pages of Scripture for truth. Well, what do we need to look out for? We need to look out for ourselves, for others, encouraging one another that we not become greedy or money-hungry or given to power or unwilling to receive input. We need to be teachable. We need to be putting ourselves under the discipleship of others so that we can grow be submissive to authority. Be avoiding mistruths. Know what the snares are out there. Preventing others from becoming hospitable would be another thing to look out for. Is there a, an air of competition? Are we gossipers and slanders? Do we misuse church discipline as a form of guilt over somebody for issues that aren't really sin? Are we domineering? Are we malicious against the truth? Do we twist the truth to our advantage? Well, this is the spirit of Diotrephes, and it can creep up in any one of us, and we pray that it doesn't. Look at these verses again. The greatest danger isn't that John or these missionaries would be harmed in what Diotrephes is doing. It tears apart the church. It breaks apart the unity of love we have. And it hurts the mission of the church and the message. Well, like Gaius... He exemplified faithful service, purposeful sending, and loving support. And because of people like Diotrephes, we need to expose self-promotion, that that doesn't creep up in our own hearts. But finally, we must exalt sound teaching. This is the way that we can promote the truth in our church and in our life. That's the way we can avoid falling into the the pitfalls of Diotrephes. Read 11 and 12 with me. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. 
But what is good? The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. Once again, he says, Beloved, a refreshing reminder that Gaius is still in the approval of this church and is loved. While Diotrephes is plaguing the church, Demetrius here is a better example of sound teaching that should be exalted. We need to know what is true and lift that up. That's what we need to be about is the sound teaching of Scripture. And John tells him here that if you're going to imitate somebody in the world, don't look out for the evil, or actually look out for it. Choose good rather than evil. Evil in this case means exactly what Diotrephes has been doing. He's clearly not knowing God, and he doesn't have the Spirit of God in him. He doesn't understand forgiveness. He doesn't understand the grace of God that takes precedence in the life of a believer. Don't imitate what is evil. Imitate what is good. The media has plenty of it out there to imitate. Think on that which is pure and lovely and true and noble and admirable and right. Look at verse 12 here. Here we have a good testimony of this man, Demetrius. If you're going to accept somebody into your home, if you're going to imitate which is good, imitate this man. Here's an example, guys. This is the kind of man you want to invite into your home, that you want to show love to, that you want to promote his teaching. He's well spoken of, not just by the men in the church, but the very truth of God testifies to his life. And much like you, beloved Gaius, it's the truth itself that is in him. And he says, don't simply accept Demetrius just on my word, not even on the the word of everyone here that, that knows Demetrius. It's far outweighed by the testimony of the truth. The point here, again, is that the truth is our ultimate standard. It's the measuring stick against all other examinations of what is true. The truth is our standard of living. It's the barometer of our holiness. It's the final witness to our character and our conduct that we may serve the Lord joyfully. The truth is the judge against the validity of our word. If we're going to say something is true, it must have come from the truth giver. Demetrius, he practiced the truth of God's word in his life so that it was evident to others He was of good rapport, trustworthy character, and Gaius should accept him because of the truth. We don't know if he may have delivered this letter, but we do know that he's to be received and shown hospitality in the same way and to accept him because of his sound teaching. We must also exalt sound teaching. So I ask you, what do you imitate? Do you imitate that which is good? Do you imitate a man like Gaius or Demetrius? Do you soak in God's word and learn that you're to imitate God, imitate Christ, imitate the faith of your leaders, even imitate Paul as an example? He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate that which is good. Imitate the truth here. Choose carefully what you imitate and exalt sound teaching in your life. Well, John tells us in this short book, that Gaius loves these travelers dearly because he is 
walking in the truth. And he exemplifies faithful service, excelling in purposeful sending, and extending the loving support of these missionaries who go out for the sake of the name. And he, he says, expose the self-promotion of people like Diotrephes and exalt the sound teaching of people like Demetrius. Well, if you want to remember these two books, I would just tell you simply, know and love the truth, brothers. Know and love the truth. Guard and protect against the false teaching. And imitate and support those who go out for the sake of the name. Imitate them. Look for people to imitate. Support them fully. Father, help us to take in this truth found in 3 John of hospitality towards your servants of truth. We praise you that you have unending love for us. And you are faithful to the end and that in spite of our selfish ambition and we fall into conceit and we know, Father, that you can transform our hearts. You can change our minds. Let us be renewed by the let us be renewed by the transformation of our minds and come and restore us through your Son who came in the flesh and He's the only way, the truth, and the life. And we pray that we would know the Father and imitate what is good. And Father, we ask that each of us here would not think that this message might be for somebody else, but that we would proclaim the truth, that we would faithfully serve and send and be a part of that sending mission of the church and do whatever we can to support these missionaries and display your majesty and splendor among the nations. God, help us to watch out for the deceptive lies of the devil, the snares, the traps, even friends we may have who lead us astray. Help us to lay aside every sin and encumbrance that so easily entangles us. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we may run to him. We pray that your work would be accomplished in our life, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon presented at Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan, where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's Son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.